in large part how we approach it today. And one of the big things that we want to change on the digital side, or at least figure out a way that it can be done cost effectively. And I think things like we were talking about earlier, right? The voter engagement piece of it is like a good example of how you can still keep some version of the lights on so that it's not a complete, you know, build up, tear down every time. Welcome to the Ronin Project podcast, a show about Asian Americans in politics, rocking the boat, breaking the rules and taking on the big fights. I'm your host, Bill Wong. Buckle up, it's time for Ronin's to Roll program. Hello, Ronin Nation. I'm excited to have a very special guest on the show this week. Gina Pack is the CEO for Tech for Campaigns. She joined Tech for Campaigns in 2022, leading its voter turnout initiative. She advises early stage, mission-driven startups on strategic growth. And prior to TFC, she was a founding member of Blue Land, where she was CMO. Gina received her MBA from Harvard Business School and undergraduate degrees in economics and political science from Stanford University. Welcome to the show, Gina. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Let's just jump right in. Let's start with your journey in politics. How did you get started and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, had a really long winding road to get here, I will say. I've always really been interested in politics. I studied it in college. I've always sort of been fascinated, I think, by how much government and public servants interact with us in the course of our day-to-day lives. But, you know, sort of in the model minority myth, so to speak, I went the traditional route of doing other things in the private sector first. So I've been in consulting, I've been in finance. And then I think after grad school, I actually chose to go a bit more atraditional, I guess, and get involved in early stage or the startup scene and got the entrepreneurship bug. I think with that, I become a lot, became a lot more comfortable with deciding to follow my passions and my interests. And so that included things like sustainability and climate change, which was actually one of the reasons why um, I got involved with Blue Land. And then after that experience, I think that combined with the pandemic and all of the AAPI hate and BLM and all the things that were just sort of happening, it felt like this would be the right time for me to take my experiences and bring them to a new space like politics. I'd also worked as a poll worker in LA County over the course of 2020 and just really saw what democracy at work was like. And, you know, I think after that experience became so clear that there's not only a major talent gap, there's also a major digital gap in how we run our democracy today, and even in places advanced like California, right? And so I think based on that, it became a pretty easy thing for me to say, where can I put my energy? Where can I put my efforts? And TFC uh, was a great fit, and it just sort of ended up working out. And so that's sort of how I uh, gotten way more embedded in the space than I ever would have imagined. Amazing. There's actually a funny story I had with LA County. They were rolling out their all vote by mail uh, stuff and then electronic voting. And they had sent, I was a political director of the Assembly Democrats at the time. We sent some staffers down there to listen to their presentation. They had gone through their whole thing and said, okay, this is is how it's going to be secure. This is going to be how people are going to verify that they voted. And they came back and said, everything's taken care of. And I said, well, did they explain what would happen if there was a power outage? And then they didn't have an answer. And I, and I think that that's one of the challenges we have in, and when I look at campaigns, I look at it from an operational standpoint. I look at it from like worst case scenario, like yeah. what would happen instead of what they just tell you is is how it's supposed to work. And I think that that's not a lot of people think from a tech standpoint yeah. when they're, they're in this part of the game. And yeah. do you think that there are like blind spots like that that occur now? Um, I think it's across the board. I think it as anything digital, whether that's technology and IT, whether that's marketing um, and messaging, whether that's just how to reach people on the platforms that they're most used to, right? I think field organizing and those methods are still incredibly important and effective. But I think just as a group, we have 
really fallen behind in terms of some of the major investments we need to make within digital, within infra uh, digital infrastructure in particular, because, you know, as fast moving as digital is, you can't just turn the lights on day one and assume that it's all going to be perfectly running day two, right? And so I think that's part of a, a huge part of what we do and why we exist as an organization. And so, you know, I think the things we'll be working on this year going into next year's presidential will be pretty formative for that reason. Well, can you tell us more about Tech for Campaigns, its mission and its objectives? Yeah, sure. So um, Tech for Campaigns or TFC for short, the organization was born out of, you know, I think the post-2016 era, like a lot of organizations and needing to, to figure out where to put and funnel a lot of energy, right? There was a lot of energy. There was a lot of fervor. And wanting to to do some good with that beyond just rage tweeting all the time and just being upset and like yelling at your computer screen or your TV, right? And so the organization since then has really evolved where we're we're really fighting for democratic values. And we're doing that using advanced digital marketing and data techniques, which is really core to who we are. And the whole intent is to be powered by lasting technology and data digital infrastructure that can really propel Democrats to win at scale. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? We really started by looking at, at two core trends. I think one is all the activity that we talk about and impacts our day-to-day -day lives is actually happening at this state or municipal level. It's happening much more like close to home as opposed to at the federal level, which is what's in the news and in the headlines of the New York Times every day, right? And so when we think about abortion access, when we think about voting rights, when we think about climate change, when we think about all the things that we care about, all those activities are actually being de determined at the state level. And so, you know, if we then layer on the fact that it's like our three founding members who came from Silicon Valley, and they were looking at what where the gaps were. And they said, there's digital, what what else can we do in digital, right? And coming out of 2016, we were all sort of thinking that. And it sort of became clear that actually the impact that you can have with state legislative campaigns by bringing digital marketing and data into those worlds was immense, right? It's It's just significantly higher value than let's say at a federal level where that's only one part of the mix, right? They're looking at things like TV spending as well. And at a state level, it just doesn't really make sense to do that. And so just the ROI you can have of not only creating and making real impact and outcomes to flip or defend these seats and chambers using digital marketing, became a pretty clear and obvious way for us to do what we do. And so the organization really started there. You know, the way that we work is we work with state candidates to be their digital marketing arm. And so we will build and run their email or digital ads programs. We'll build and run their websites, their texting campaigns. And the beauty of it is actually run all by a volunteer network, uh, by a set of skilled volunteers that are all doing this in their day jobs, right? So people are coming from the tech industry or top tier digital companies to bring their skills and volunteer them to the candidate. So the candidate actually gets these amazing services for free. Since we've started, we've served now over 600 campaigns on over a thousand digital projects, which has been absolutely, I think, amazing to witness. And in 22, we helped flip chambers in Minnesota and Michigan and part of Pennsylvania, just given the amount of time that we spent there doing that work. And then, you know, I think after we saw some successes in the early days in 2020, we're taking a hard look at where else we could take our philosophy, our philosophies around data, around digital, around experimentation, and thought, why not we, why don't we apply it to voter turnout? There's a specific path within voter turnout where the data is very visible, particularly vote by mail. And oh wait, it was also the pandemic. And so that's how everyone's going to be voting. You're going to get a lot of data points, right? And so out of that 
sort of idea or that thesis, we actually built a voter turnout program that's fully digital, all about getting and signing up net new Democrats or what that means, likely younger or non-white voters to turn out and vote and getting them to vote by mail or vote early. You know, and I think for us to be able to do that program end to end was really something that felt unique to us at the time. And so now to date, we've signed up over half a million voters in that program, focusing only on purple states and places where we can make impact in terms of, again, executive level state offices like attorney general, governor, secretary of state, et cetera, as well as helping our partners in terms of uh, on the candidate side and, and further down ballot as well. So you know, I think all of that's underpinned, I think, really, when we think about our long-term infrastructure, too, by what we call our learning engine. And so that's really taking all the data from, you know, the six, seven years of our work across the voter turnout side, across the candidate and campaign side, and saying, how can we surface and make this data much easier for people to engage with and interact with so that they can get all the best practices they need and, and not make it feel so arm's length or difficult to understand or frankly, old, right? By the time we get our voter file or by the time we get our data, it's like months has passed and you're like, we've moved on. So how can we get some of that stuff surfaced faster, earlier and more easily? And so that's going to be a huge part of what we're focused on this year. Do you mainly interact with the consultants or the campaign, like the candidates? The candidates and their and their teams, right? So we're working with campaign directors, digital directors, and then the candidates themselves. Um, we're also working with the caucuses as part of that work as well. That's great. I did a lot of work with uh, DLCC. I mean, obviously, California is not a target for DLCC because we have so many Democrats, but it it was always fun working with them. We helped them fundraise for their candidates and their, their PAC efforts yeah. out of California because we know how critical their work is. And particularly, we saw how important states winning state houses were in this last election cycle with regard to the abortion issue yeah. and now LGBTQ rights that, that are going forward as, as well as as race relations. So, yeah. I mean, I really think that the battleground is in states. But here's, a, here's an interesting question that I didn't send to you previously, but I, I'm very interested in. One of the things we did in 2018, which was very rare, and this was in California, we had a couple of seats that we had to win back. And in one case, we actually approved digital 50 weeks out, which is huge. Usually, you know, before that, it was like eight weeks out, maybe yeah. six, something like yeah. that. And then for our other races, we actually started digital 16 weeks out. So it, it was applying a technique that we thought like it was like slow drip, but being consistent in order yeah. to lay the foundation. And one of the things that that has really concerned me about Democratic Party politics is like, OK, well, we win these races, but yeah. then we spend the next 18 months getting punched in the mouth with no response from uh, <laughs> at, at all, you know, with, yeah. with no sensible types of message control or counter messaging that's out there. So we basically, you know, take on water for 18 months and then hope that we bail ourselves out in time for election day. Um, what are your thoughts with regard to efforts to apply digital and data and technology for not the campaign side of it, but from the issue and from the day-to-day -day voter engagement, like yeah. voter retention. Because what yeah. I'm really concerned about is as these things come, for example, last cycle, we lost Chinese Democrats in New York. We're losing some Latinos, not all. I mean, it's not a flood, but it's enough to really play in some of these very close districts. Like, What are your thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> you know, I think first and foremost, and I think this intersects very well with the kinds of topics you talk about and cover on a regular basis. But I guess I'll start with the first thought, which is like voting blocks are not really voting blocks, right? Even within the AAPI community, the number of different cuts of those groups is pretty immense, right? There's not only ethnic 
cuts of it. There's also generational cuts of it. There's socioeconomic cuts of it, right? And all those different pockets have different points of view as to how they view policies, messaging, what they're exposed to, how they consume information, et cetera, right? And so, you know, I think to your point, like, if you just expect them to show up on election day to vote a certain way, that's likely not going to happen. And and quite honestly, over the last several years, be in large part, I think because of digital, less and less than that of that is happening, right? The number of people that I've spoken to, for example, within the Korean American community, and I'm Korean, like where their parents are voting Trump and they are voting Democrat is in part because of the way that they're being engaged and the platforms in which they're consuming news, right? And so, you know, I think those are really good examples of where if we just expect them to vote one way because they voted a certain way without having ever reached out to them or cultivated those relationships, you're not going to, we're, we're not going to be able to turn that tide. Right. And the thing is, I think that's actually very much applicable to other quote unquote blocks as well, whether that's the Latino or Hispanic block, whether that is the black African-American block, right? Like all of those different groups have a lot, a lot of other sort of segments within them that I don't think we as a party have done a great job of really trying to like tailor and micro message, which actually digital is very well suited for. Right. And so, you know, I think that's a good example where, um, you know, being able to engage with the voter over the course of the year, digital is the cheapest way, right? You're not sending direct mail, you know, every month, hoping that someone is going to be home in any given month to be able to see the message that you're talking about. No, by the way, younger voters are not really looking at mail. They go to their mailbox maybe once a week kind of deal, right? Or even if you think about TV and TV news, like likely older voters are consuming TV news. And not only that, they're likely consuming TV news in their native language, right? In which case, what kind of messaging are we doing there? And so <clears throat> I think digital is a part of it. I think it's a very important part of it. And I actually think if we're talking about wanting to get younger voters who are non-white, digital is one of the most important channels we have to do that. Um, but we can't just assume that the last couple of weeks will be sufficient. You know, I think we've seen data where the younger voters are very, very savvy when it comes to digital, right? And so they know a gimmick when they see one. It looks like a gimmick, acts like a gimmick, right? Then they're gonna be like, ah, oh, these people are just here. They want my information so they can bother me for the last two weeks with 5 million text messages, right? And so, you know, I think we need to sort of shift as a group our approach and our thinking to that. And, you know, I, I have a commercial private sector background. Like I think of it as like cultivating a loyalty program, right? It's the same analogy of if I want a customer to be a VIP or a very active voter, I can't just say, hey, come spend with me leading up to a holiday period. I need to have built a relationship with you and you, there needs to be trust there where you know that I'm going to give you the best deals 365, no matter what. Right. And I think some of that thinking and that infrastructure and quite honestly, the dollars needed to support that are, are, are missing right now, but is one of the key ways that we can sort of, I think, shift back some of those trends that voting patterns and trends that we have seen that I think all of us are very concerned about. A little bit to that, I mean, contemporary political campaign operations are pretty stale still and resistant to change. I mean, that that was one of my biggest frustrations, and to a certain extent, that's kind of what led to my retirement. You know, what are your thoughts on the adaptability and innovation in the campaign space when it comes to the business of politics, which means, you know, people make commission off of TV buys, they've built their, their business off of, say, mail program, uh, versus the craft of politics, which means being nimble, taking a bespoke approach to each campaign, those types of things. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really keen assessment of it. I think at the end of the day, politics are still very human, right? And people know what they know. They're comfortable with what they're comfortable with. I think in, historically, they've seen the benefits of digital, let's say, 
but they don't know how to how to necessarily do that effectively. It seems at times that there's some resistance to that. And then when push comes to shove and you're in the midst of like limited dollars, limited time, you know, you end up reverting to your instincts, which is what you already know how to do. I think the big thing that's actually changing that is AI. Funny enough, I think all of us have heard a lot about it, but it's one of those things where it's moving at a pace that is so fast and so quick, it is impossible to ignore. Um, I was having a conversation with someone recently and, you know, they'd asked the question of like, how concerned should we be about deep fakes? And they're, they're in politics. And the, the person who was speaking was like now, yesterday, right? And that freaked them out and rightfully so. And there's a lot of benefits to AI to be clear as well, right? And I think it's a little bit of whether we like it or not, technology and data and marketing is moving at a pace that's a lot faster than maybe some of these campaigns are ready to take on. But we, I think we've now hit this sort of like turning point where we will clearly be left behind even more than maybe we already have in certain instances if we do not figure out how to adapt and how to adapt quickly. And I think ultimately what that means is you need to bring in talent that's attuned to that, right? You need to be willing to look at and think about things a different way. You need to be willing to sort of take risks and, and make some bets. And you can do it in controlled, smart ways, right? To shift the tides. And I think that there's a handful of people that are willing to do that now when there's a little bit less visibility, so to speak, before you know the lights are on for 2024. But I think that's also something that we think about a lot within TFC too, where our responsibility is not just to do digital, quote unquote, right? But to help be like true partners to these candidates and campaigns to like help educate them, help bring them along, decrease their anxiety, as well as the general fear there is or hesitancy around digital. It's the very traditional argument of like logos, ethos, pathos, like for any given person, like do I appeal to your moral side, do your logic with data, emotion, like what is it that I can appeal to? to make it clear, because we're such firm believers that this is where it's heading, that if we don't act, we're going to be in real trouble next year and beyond, quite honestly, because some of the easier quote unquote wins have have been made. So now we got to do sort of the next six, 12 years of investment on the state side. And how are we going to go about doing that is really a lot of it's through digital. No matter how much technology changes, ultimately it comes down to human behavior and behavioral exploits that can be utilized in order to either benefit us or take advantage of us. But I also think, and I, I can't say this for the Republican side, but definitely for the Democratic side, I do feel like it, it requires a mindset change in the sense that the Democratic okay. mindset is still seasonal. Campaigns come at a certain season. We, you know, then we like look at the field and see what's out there. And then we try to adjust to it as opposed to having 365 days a year for eternity, um, trying to be ahead of the curve as things are changing. I deal with uh, candidates mostly and some of their consultants who still 